Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. And I don't know if God talks to you that way, but He talks to me a lot of times through pictures, and it doesn't matter if I'm riding down the road or whether I'm in the shower or, or just taking a walk with a dog or just standing out there minding my own business or whatever, I can see a picture in my mind's eye real quickly, and the Lord will begin to speak to me about that. And this morning as I was standing in the shower about to get out, I saw a picture of the beach where there were waves crashing and there was a little calmer place there, and and then the waves were crashing again. And immediately I knew what he was saying. Uh, it It was as if this is a rip current spot. How many of you know how to recognize rip current at the beach? You know, you'll have some waves over here, then there'll be a real still area in this area, then there'll be waves again. What's happening is the waves are crashing on the beach, and it's getting in there and and going back out, and it's going through that rip current. And so I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this in my mind, and I knew... The Lord, I mean, it's not like I really think about going to the beach. I, I'm, a, I'm not a beach person. Uh, Marcia is, but uh, me, I can take it or leave it. I don't really care for the sand and uh, all the sticky suntan lotion and sand spurs and getting it all in your car that you just cleaned before you went down there. And So anyway, I'm not one to think about that so much. But uh, this morning when I saw that, I knew the Lord had something he wanted to say. And... Uh, He was saying that we need to be very aware of the rip current that's taking place in our in the world that we live in today. That and if you understand how this works, the the rip current, how these things are that that water is going out away from the beach, a safe place for you to be, and it's taking uh, going out away. And if you were like laying on a float, it will take you farther than you wanted to go. It it will you'll get on it and. it's nice, it's peaceful, you just all of a sudden, there's no waves involved, you just find yourself out so far, you will be late. Now you're in danger. But you know, even if you were in the water, you'll feel the pull on the back of your legs and you'll keep inching forward and more and more as that rip current is pulling you, know, pulling you or over here where these waves are crashing. But the truth is, those waves are pushing you towards the shore. This area is pulling you away from the shore. And there's a lot of things that's going on in our world today that we live in. Uh, promises from people, uh, um, I'm talking about governments, news media, different things that are telling you, get over here where it's calm, just, and, it, and it will pull you out away from where you need to be. Because how many of you know you need to have a firm foundation, something to stand on, the rock, not a shifting sands under your feet, with a current that's pulling you out away from safety. Are you getting it? And the Lord said that, he, that uh, what you'll have to do when things take place like today, I mean, there's some things that we didn't have a, a way to really prepare for. What do you, how do you prepare unless you've got a, a huge tank buried in your backyard that you can have them come and put, you know, maybe five, 600,000 gallons of, of gasoline in, right? Gas prices are going up, so what do you do? You can either fuss about it, argue about it, complain about it, do whatever about it, or, and what happens when you do that is it just kind of sucking you out 
It's taking you away from the safety. Or you can swim against, not against the current, the, the riptide, but parallel to it. Just swim over into the other area and get out of the, the pool. Are you following me? Because if you try to swim against it, no matter how strong you are, you will fight it. You'll be a great swimmer and you'll, you'll keep on and on and on. And you will find yourself become so exhausted that you cannot fight it any longer and it takes you out. So what we have to do in times like this is we recognize the pull. We recognize what's taking place in the day that we live in. And we have to reckon and, and say, OK, wait a minute. This is taking me where I don't want to go. Now, what I do need is the word. I need to get to safety. I'm going to do what it takes to go this way. I'm not going to fight this. I'm going to find my way to, uh, to get out of this pool, which may mean turn the TV off, walk away from the water cooler at work, or, you know, tell people something they don't really want to hear, like, you know what, we ought to just trust God. You know, some people, that's what they need to hear, and some people don't want to hear that. They just want to complain. They, that's the norm for the day that we live in, especially in our country. It's, uh, we've become a, a nation of complainers and murmurers, and I always say this, uh, probably not enough, but I, I say it, that uh, murmuring and complaining is hell's praise and worship. We could just as well be saying, thank you, Jesus, but we're going to murmur and complain, and it's hell's praise and worship. Instead of giving... Glory to God for him delivering us out of something. We're just going to jump right into it and worship the devil for what evil he's doing on earth. And we need to recognize it for what it is. Last week I made mention in Philippians uh, 4 talking about Paul. He said he had learned something. And in uh, Philippians 4 uh, verse 11 it says, Paul said, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Say, I have learned. We need to be learning some things. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state that I am, therewith be content. He said, no matter what's taking place, whether it's a good day or a bad day, no matter what's happening in the economy, no matter what's going on at work, I have learned something, and that is that whatever state that I am, I'm going to be content. He did not say that he was going to be satisfied. He said he was going to be content. There is a difference. And he goes on to say this. He says, I know, verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, it says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Now, if that is where we want to get to right there. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He learned this. He wasn't born knowing this. I don't know how he learned it, whether it was the road of hard knocks like a lot of us maybe have gone down and we finally come to the conclusion that, hey, you know what? God's word's true. But he did learn it. He didn't keep ignoring it. He learned something. And he says, I've learned how to, go back to verse 12, I've learned how to what? Flip it back so I can see it. I've learned how to be abased, and I know how to abound. He didn't say, I learned how to be abased, and I enjoyed it, I, I, I liked it. He never said, uh, I've learned how to just put up with whatever comes my way. That's not what he's saying. 
He said, I've learned how to conduct myself, how to live my life, how to keep my mouth shut. I've learned how to do that when things are not going too well, when I find myself being abased, when there's suffering need or whatever. He said, I've learned how to live my life in in accordance with God's word during this time. That's what he's saying. He didn't say, I've learned how to complain about all this. He says, I have learned how to be abased, how to to, uh, conduct myself, my behavior, my thinking, all these things. I've learned how to do it. And then he says, then there's the word and. And I know how to abound. In other words, I know how to conduct myself in the midst of the mess, and I know how to get out of it. He said, I've learned this. This didn't happen. I didn't get it shipped to me in the mail. Amazon didn't deliver it. He said, I learned this. And you know what? If Paul learned this, maybe we ought to learn this. Maybe we ought to learn that in whatever state we find ourselves, we're not going to be sucked out into the rip current. What we're going to do is what? We're going to be on a firm foundation of God's word. That's what he was saying. He says, I have a covenant with my God. We have a covenant with our God. And he says, I've learned not to be standing around and blaming everybody else for what's going on. I've learned to go to my covenant. What did God's word say about this? And when we do that, things will turn around. So we see in God's word that, that even in back then there was tough times. Well, there's tough times today. And we need to learn how to conduct ourselves in this day and age. I have watched it over the years. It seems like it's progressively gotten worse, and society just goes along with it. And you can get caught up in all of the different things, or you can say, you know what? I'm going to stick with what my covenant says. I'm not going to be tied up in this mess. I was telling Marcia the other day, you know, uh, we need to really get back to some foundational truths that I think we've all let slip. And it's causing havoc in your thought life. It's causing havoc in relationships, maybe in your finances and some other areas. It's not that those things were outdated. No, we have kind of let them slip. And uh, one of the things that uh, Paul learned, and he, he says this in 1 Timothy 6, 6. I want us to go to that. 1 Timothy 6, 6. He says... Uh, you got it up? They've got those scriptures. I gave it to them. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For he brought nothing into this world, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry no thing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich, they that will be rich fall into a temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. And this is where, and this is he was teaching there, telling Timothy, chapter 6, he says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, while, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now let's back up and look at what he says. He's saying, in verse 9, he said, but they that will be rich. I look around this room and everybody in this room is rich. 
you're already rich. You can go to places in this world, they don't have two nickels to rub together. They don't have air conditioning to turn on. They don't have food and don't know where tomorrow's meal is coming from. You may have food at your house and you say, well, I ain't got anything to eat. No, you just don't have anything to eat that you want right now. So you are rich. And he said here, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Did he say that you sinned? Huh? No. Being tempted is not sin. Jesus was tempted in every area, yet he didn't sin. He said, if you're going to be rich, and God wants you rich, he wants you to a place where you can be generous. Everywhere you see in the Word, he's telling us to give and to do these things and all. He wants you to come to that place that his covenant can be established in all the earth. Deuteronomy 8.18, he gave us power to, to be wealthy. Here it is, he says, but they that will be rich. I don't know about you, but I'm one of them. You are too. It says, fall into a temptation. You know, he's tempted just to count and say, well, you know what? I've got plenty. It's just about me. I don't, I don't think care about what everybody else is doing and just become self-sufficient. There's a temptation in that. He says, fall into a temptation and a snare and be overtaken by it. He says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, why are they coveting after it? Because they have erred from the faith. They've erred from being obedient to what God says he, you're to do with your money. Yeah. It's kind of like we want to hold on to it. Here's a scripture. Go ahead and put this up there on the, on the overhead. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Jesus, again, he's speaking a, uh, a, telling a parable. And it says, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, this is Luke 16, 12. Luke 12, I mean 16. Did I say it wrong? Yep. Luke 12, 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plenty. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This is what I'll do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now notice something here. This man never considered giving to the poor and needy. The widow and the orphan were not before his eyes. No. What was before his eyes was verse 19. So you got plenty. Just eat, drink, be married. You're self-sufficient. You don't need anybody. That's what this guy's doing, okay? Here is a prime example of having erred from the faith. He doesn't know what it's there for. So what does he do? He tears down perfectly good barns, and it starts off that way because it says the ground in verse 17, and he thought within himself. He never inquired to God, what do I do with what you've blessed me with? He thought to himself, what, and what do you, how many of you know your flesh is always going to say, satisfy me, satisfy me, right? And this is what Jesus was talking about here, because it goes on and he says, but God said unto him, thou fool this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. 
Then who shall those things be when thou hast, uh, which thou hast provided? Verse 21, so he that layeth up treasures for himself mm, and is not rich towards God. And not rich towards God. What does that mean, not rich towards God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Now we'll go back over to 1 Timothy chapter 6 where it talked about the love of money in verse 10. And let's look see what it says in verse 17. Can you go there? 1 Timothy 6, 17. It says, charge them that are rich in this world. Wow. So they must not be too evil. I mean, there's people that are rich. He said, charge them, command them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Don't be prideful. Don't think that you're all lit in a bag of chips, nor trust in these uncertain riches that can change in a moment's time. But trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He's given us everything to enjoy, but don't be trusting in these riches that come and go. Now in verse 18, look what he says to, to the rich people. He says, charge them that are rich. He goes on and says, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, which means they're willing to give of their resources. He said, you charge them and tell them to do good with it. This is the faith. This is what we're to do with these monies. Be good with it. Charge them that they do good, that they be rich in good works. Now, how many of you know that you don't do good works to get saved? Huh? You're never going to be able to work your way into heaven. We do good works not to get saved, but because we are saved. Are you hearing me? Very important, because people talk about that all the time, where they're just trying to, to get saved. No, we already are saved. That's why we're doing good works. Good works is not going to get you saved. Laying up for, in, in verse 19, willing to, uh, rich in good works, ready to distribute or to give of their finances, to give of their, uh, the income things that God has blessed them with. And it says that they were, uh, to be able to give out to those people around them. He says, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Laying up in store for themselves. Remember when Jesus said, lay up not for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doeth corrupt. He said, but lay up for yourselves, right? Treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot get to, Right? Here he's saying, this is Paul. He said, now he's learned some things. This is one of the things he's learned. Lay up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. So we got to build up a big bank account so when we get to heaven we'll have some money? No, it's not what he's saying. What's the time to come? How about your future? How about what's going to happen next month or two years down the road? Huh? Laying up a what in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come? I want to read this to you out of the complete Jewish Bible. It says, as for those who do have riches in this present world, charge them not to be proud 
and not to let their hopes rest on the uncertainty of riches, but to rest their hopes on God, who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. Charge them to do good and to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and ready to share. In this way, they will treasure up for themselves a good foundation for the future so that they may lay hold of the real life. The real life. What's, what do you mean the real life? The life of faith, of walking according to God's word and not walking according to the course of this world. Too many people are looking at this the world that we're living in and saying, this is life. No, it's not. That's a counterfeit to the real life of living like God lives. Do you think God lives by doubt and unbelief? No, he lives by faith. And he chose for us to be children of faith, to live just like he does according to faith. And some people have taken the word faith and, and, and basically made a, a bad word out of it. They said, you don't like four-letter words. You surely don't want this fifth letter. Faith. And I'm going to tell you, we are to live like God called us to live. Amen? Now, let's go, uh, let me go over here to where we're going to start. Hmm. How about this? Since I'm going to be using a reference of a lot of scriptures that Jesus spoke today, I want us to think about this a little bit about Jesus, okay? How many of y'all believe that he was or is the Son of God? Amen. How many of you know that he speaks what the Father tells him to speak, and he did what the Father told him to do? He says, I don't say anything he didn't tell me to, and I don't do anything he didn't tell me to do. This is Jesus, right? Okay. Make that perfectly clear. Now, he's told us to do some things. Let's get that down in our head, that, that these things that we're going to be reading, some scriptures that Jesus said, okay? In John 14, too, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. In my Father's house, there's many mansions. And if it was not so, I told you it wasn't. He says, Now go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and to receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be. Be also. How many of you know if Jesus would have told would have told them that heaven was a fable if it was not true? He said, I would have told you that heaven's just a myth, that heaven's just a fairy tale. It's just something that's made up to get you to do good. He said, if it wasn't a real place, I'd have told you that. Huh? Isn't that what he said? It's what he's saying here. And who told him to tell us that? The Father. Why? Because the Father, our Father, our Father, wants us to know this. He said, this is not a fairy tale. This is not make-believe. This is important for we to understand the realm of the Spirit and how things work in heaven. He said, I'm telling you something here. And if it wasn't true, I'd tell you that. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 7, he says, Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful. In other words, when you show mercy to other people, the poor, the needy, the hungry, 
any kind of mercy. When you show out mercy, guess what? You're going to receive mercy. That puts a whole new twist on helping others, don't it? Because I don't know about you, but I like mercy. And if you don't sow any mercy, according to that, you're not going to get any. You're not going to obtain it. So it's good to give like that. So let's go and look at something real quick, like in Acts chapter 10. Can you pull up Acts chapter 10? And we'll look at verse 1. And I think that uh, Acts 10, 1, you have it in the Amplified or is it, okay, good. There we go. We'll read it in the Amplified and then we'll look at it in the complete Jewish Bible. It makes it a little easier. It says, now at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian Regiment. Not the Mafia, the Italian Regiment. Okay? Verse 2. It says, a devout man and one who, along with all of his household, feared God. Not just him, a devout man. He feared God, but his entire household feared God because of his example of the way he lived by faith and his walk and his relationship with God. They saw something different about him, and, they, and his whole household did this. And it says, he made many charitable donations to the Jewish people and prayed to God always. So he was known to always be giving charitable donations to the Jewish people, and he was always known for praying to God. Now, this man, Cornelius, was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. He was a Gentile. Stationed in a, a land that he was not accustomed to, but that's where he was sent there. He was sent to this particular region, although it wasn't his home. A devout man, one that always prayed, feared God, and his whole household, they all followed his example. He gave lots of money to charitable donations to all the Jewish people and prayed always. In verse 3, this is what took place in his life. In about the ninth hour, or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had come to him and said, Cornelius, now here it is, we've got a guy that's not a Jew. He's not a covenant man. He's not born again. He's never been baptized. But he loves God. Somehow or another, over the years, he has been stationed. This is about 41 B.C. He's been stationed in a region where people have been talking. The Jewish people have been talking to him about the Messiah and him coming and all. And somewhere down through here, he has heard about Jesus. And you'll see why in just a few minutes, how I know that. He's heard about Jesus, and he's inquiring and asking God about this. And he's standing before God's face. And isn't it a shame that we got people that aren't even saved questioning and standing before God and its own people don't do that? Thank you for your enthusiasm. But think about this. Here's this guy not saved, and he's continually praying and doing the works of the church, doing the works, constantly helping and giving out to people, right? And the angel of the Lord, this guy's seeing a vision. How many visions have y'all seen this week? This guy received of God a vision who's not even saved. 
And he saw this angel coming to him, and he said, Cornelius, the angel in the vision knew his name. Wow, that's important. Verse 4, and here's what happened. Cornelius was frightened and stared intently at him and said, What is it, Lord, or sir? And the angel said to him, Your prayers and gifts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God, an offering made in remembrance of his past blessings. Mm. Let me read this to you out of the uh, complete Jewish Bible, how it says it. I thought this was awesome. If I can find it. Here we go. It says, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a Roman army officer in what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man, a God-fearer, as was his whole household. He gave generously to help the, the Jewish poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at the angel, terrified, and said, what is it, sir? And he asked, uh, he asked, he says, your prayers, replied the angel, and your acts of charity have gone up into God's presence so that he has you on his mind. I don't know about you, but that just, that just thrills me that my prayers and my acts of kindness and generosity to the poor and helping others it's gotten God's attention. It's just gotten up into his presence. And because of it, it's up before him. He says, you're on God's mind. So much that he sent an angel down there and now going to give him instruction to receive something that money don't buy. He had plenty of money. But what he desired, money can't get him. You see, what took place was Cornelius... He wanted to be born again. He wanted to be saved. He wanted eternal life that Jesus talked about, yet he wasn't Jewish. Not going to happen. And he told him, the angel says, here's what I want you to do. Now tomorrow, I mean, I want you to get some of your guys and I want you to send after this fellow named Peter. So now send him to Joppa. Uh, and have them call for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter, and invite him to come to your house. Now, first of all, Jews could not go into their houses. It was against the law. It was. It was against the law. They couldn't do that. And so he sent those guys, two of his most trusted guys, plus one of his soldiers with them. A 36-mile hike went over to Joppa, got over there. Now, as they were journeying over there, Peter gets up. Ah, he's hungry. It's noontime. He goes up on the roof. He starts worshiping God, and he got hungry. He's up there while they're preparing the food and took a nap. Fell asleep, and he had a dream. And in the dream, there was a sheet that came down, from heaven. And it was four-legged beast, I mean hoofs and all kind of seafood, all kind of things that was to against the law of the Jews to eat. And the Jesus said, kill and cook it and eat it. 
And Peter says, not so, Lord. I've never touched anything common or unclean. I'm not doing it. Jesus told him again. He said the same thing again. Third time he spoke it, and he's like, what's going on? About that time, he came, came to, and he says, there's three guys here to see you. Don't ask me anything. Just go with them. So he did. And so after the 36-mile hike back down to Cornelius' house, we find that the Lord has now spoken, and Peter's understanding what's taking place here. He's like, I understand what you're saying, Lord. You have died for the Gentiles as much as the Jew. And don't call them common and unclean, because your blood cleansed them as well. So he goes down there and he says, what can I do for you, Cornelius? And he says, well, all I can tell you is that I've been praying and, and the Lord said to have you come and you speak. And so here you are now. Now go ahead and tell us what you got. Tell us, tell us everything you know about the Lord. So he began to tell him about, about Jesus and how they walked with him and how he died and, and how he was resurrected and how they ate with him afterwards and so forth and so forth. And it says as they were, as Peter was sharing with them, about Jesus and the resurrection and all, that the Holy Ghost fell upon him and his household and the family and people that had came in there, and they all began to speak with tongues in another language. And Peter was like, whoa, the guys that came with Peter that were Jews, the circumcision people, they were standing, what are we going to do? And Peter says, how can you refuse them water baptism when the Holy Ghost that fell upon us has already fallen upon them? So Cornelius was kind of like Abraham to the Jews. Cornelius is kind of like that to the Gentiles. He pressed through. He says, I want this. I want this. He probably was like, you know, Lord, you healed Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian. You healed him. I want to be saved. I worship you. And don't you know that his acts of kindness and goodness and his prayers in God's presence, he's like, that's my boy. We, let's, let's do this. There is a way to get in the presence of God, and it's not by buying your way in there. It's by staying in his presence, praying, praying with faith that God is hearing what you're saying. He said, your prayers have come up as a memorial, and your actions and what you're doing, how you're living, how you're behaving in the midst of a, a corrupt nation. Things are not going right. And in the midst of a storm or rip current or however you want to talk about it, inflation and, and all the other things that's going on that's evil in this world, in the midst of all of those things, you have stayed steady, sticking with what my word says, and it has come up before me, your stand of faith. Because you're a doer of the word, not somebody just listening to it. What do you want? You got my attention. Now, I don't know about you, but I like that. I like that a lot. Because that's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. And he wants us to be blessed. He wants us to understand the things of, of this world now, now, and how the, the spirit realm works. Now, Jesus said there in Matthew uh, chapter 6 there, we started off with, he said this. He said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth nor rust doeth corrupt. Didn't he not? Then he says, but lay up in heaven 
lay up treasures in heaven where it doesn't corrupt it, where inflation has no hold on what you did, where politicians can't get to it, where nothing can take away from what you've done. Now I want to ask you something. Has anybody here ever prayed for somebody else's health? Hmm? Have you ever prayed for somebody to be healed and ask God to heal their physical body? Have any of you ever prayed for somebody to get a job? Yeah. Have you ever prayed for somebody's, uh, maybe their relationship with, their, with people at work or their relationship with their mate or somebody like that? Have you ever prayed for them for it to be restored and all? Has anybody here ever prayed for somebody else's finances? Oh. So we don't really have a problem praying for other people, do we? You see, a few weeks ago, when I brought all this up, I said, I prayed for this widow woman. And I said, Lord, yeah, I see this. I have a heavenly account, treasures that I have put up in heaven. And I see that I have this money there, and it's not doing anything. I'm not making any withdrawals from it. I know that that money's not there because... You know, Uber has gone up in prices up there. I mean, there's nothing to buy there. It's all free. So what's the money in, that I've laid up in heaven for? Is it not to do good works for others? Can you not pull and ask God about that money? What's it there for? Is it just a figment of our imagination that there's an account up there? Let me tell you something about the things of the spirit realm. It's more real than the things here. And if Jesus said that you've got that you to lay this money up into heaven for yourselves and for Paul learned that it was for the future, don't you think for a minute that it's not there. This guy's giving brought him into the kingdom. He couldn't buy it. He had no idea. Cornelius was like, I just, I, I, you know, I want to know God. I, I want to be saved. I, wanna, I want the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because of his praying and his, his doing, it made a doorway for him to, to walk in it. Something was laid up in heaven. So I want to ask you, have you ever given to the poor? Is it just sitting up there doing nothing? You ever gave to someone, helped somebody, did something? Well, sure you have. Have you ever asked for it to be something done with that? The other week I, I made mention that I said, Lord, because I know I've got plenty of money I've put up. Lord, I'd like to transfer about $10,000 from my heavenly account over to that widow woman. Now, it might have shocked y'all because we don't usually talk that way in church. Do you think it shocked God? you think God was saying, oh, well, you can't do that. We don't do transfer of funds up here. <laughs> really. I think their banking is way beyond ours. I think he was saying, now that's my boy. That's what I'm talking about right there. Better than just sitting here doing nothing, put it to use. Give it to somebody who could use it. But see, it was kind of like new to us. Like, can we do a transfer of funding with our heavenly account? Well, maybe like I said, the terminology was strange, but you have no problem praying that God will help them or bless them financially. We've all done it, have we not? But what God was trying to, to reveal to us in all of this, 
is the fact that we have things available to us to overcome whatever situation we're dealing with in life and quit choosing, murmuring and complaining to do it. See, we were murmuring and complaining about the gas prices. And the Lord says, I want my people to start using their heavenly account. You don't need to be complaining about it. Just start making withdrawals. So how do you do that, though? You know how you do it? You pray and believe. Let's, let's, let's look at some examples. See, my heavenly account is more real than my earthly accounts. Now, I have monies in the banks, and I know how to get it out, and I know how to put it in. And my account that I have in heaven is more real than these that I have here. The question is, how do you get it out? Well, I'll say this. That since all of heaven operates on the system of faith, it's going to require faith to get it out. It's going to require faith. Not doubt, not unbelief, but faith. First, you're going to have to believe that God meant what he said. And then, okay. Now, Jesus is the one that's saying these things, and who told him to say these things? The Father. So God's not going to be upset because he's, it was all his idea to start with. Okay? He wants to show us how to operate in a fallen world because we represent the kingdom. Y'all remember in the, in the Bible, I'll, I'll just paraphrase these. Uh, uh, if I could, go ahead and get this set up there in Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. Go ahead and put that up there. Mark 11, verse 20. How many of y'all remember the story when Jesus, the last week of Passion Week, he was, had gone into to, uh, Jerusalem and he came out. And that morning he got up, he went into Jerusalem, and guess what? He was hungry. The Bible says he was hungry. And he saw a fig tree afar off, and it had leaves on it. And so he says, I'm going to go get me something to eat. So he walked up to it. He examined the tree, and the tree had leaves but had no figs. Remember that? Now, was there anything wrong with him being hungry? I mean, he had the same passions and same desires that we have. Uh, some of y'all probably woke up, and y'all were hungry this morning. And you got something for it. Now, he shows up, and he's looking at this tree, and there's no figs on it, which it should have been some figs. It just wasn't fig season in its fullness and harvest. But if it had leaves, there should be some figs on it. And by half, just so happened, some of those figs were probably ready. They just, the bulk of them weren't ready, and he was just going to pick some of them. It was on public property. He was just going to pick some of them that were ready and get something to eat. And what did he do? Does anybody remember? What did he do? He cursed the tree, didn't he? Mm. Now, now stop and think about it for a second. Let's just put our thinking caps on. What did he do? The Bible says that Jesus cursed that tree. He cursed it. and says, nobody will ever eat from you again. Can you imagine the disciples? They probably looked and thought, I ain't asking nothing today. This is first thing in the morning. Jesus has got a bad hair day going on. Peter, just shut up. Don't say a word. Don't get nothing stirred up. He ain't no mood for this. I can imagine it was silence all the way there. He got there, and on the way back, uh, you know, well, anyway, they got, it was dark, and so the next morning it says in verse 20, and in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. 
And Peter says something here. Verse 21. And Peter calling to remembrance saith unto the master, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. He said, you cursed that tree yesterday and it's dead today. It withered up from the roots. Now, there again, let's think about this. What's taking place here? What's really happening? What's really happening? Jesus got through cursing a tree, right? Was it his idea? Huh? He already saw that he never said anything that the Father didn't tell him to say. And he didn't do anything the Father didn't tell him to do. So whose idea was it to curse that tree? It was the Father. Why would the Father want to kill that tree? Why would the Father want to kill that tree? Because what's fixing to take place. He knew that Peter would speak up. He knew they were going to see that tree tomorrow. And now it's given them an opportunity where Jesus has got their attention in full. They knew lightning didn't strike it. Some bug didn't come in there and, and strike it at the root. Nobody poured gas on it. Something happened and they said, Look, Master, the tree which you cursed, it's dead. It's withered up. You see, the Father wanted to reveal... What's recorded next? Verse 22. Now ask him about this. And Jesus answered them saying this to them. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Now you read this in almost every translation. It'll say have faith in God. Some of them say it this way. Have the faith of God. Some say have faith like God has. So what was God really, what was the Father really getting across to the disciples? How to live by faith. It cost a tree. There's more of them. He was interested in telling us something. Because now Jesus is speaking again. And what's he saying? What the Father's telling him to say. The Father's response to all of this, he set this up. He wants the disciples to know because they're going to be Without Jesus there in just a few days, they're going to see things and witness things they never wanted or dreamed of, the crucifixion and all. And it says, have faith in God or have the faith of God. Have faith like God has faith. That's what he really means. Have faith like God's faith. Don't have faith like you have faith, but have faith like God has faith. How many of you realize that your faith may fluctuate up and down by the mood and by the weather and by whatever's going on in your life. But God's faith doesn't change. God's faith is always the same. And he said, have the kind of faith that God has. This is the Father telling them. And he goes on, he says, for Jesus said, for verily I say unto you, he's saying something the Father told him to say, that whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, was the father lying? Was Jesus the one that says, if there wasn't many mansions in heaven, I'd have told you it was just a fairy tale. 
That same guy is saying what? That whatsoever, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. So don't tell me you can't do it. It's just that we don't do it. What mountain are you faced with? Are you speaking to it or are you complaining against it? Are we operating according to the faith like God has faith? Well, I tried. I, I, I said it. I said a few prayers. You know, faith doesn't take no for an answer. You hear me? Faith doesn't take no. Trying takes no. Faith doesn't take no. It don't matter how many times you do it. You're going to keep on doing it till it does it. That's faith. Faith says, no, I'm not taking no. No is not an option. Defeat is not an option. You think you're going to wear me down? No, 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 no. You will give it up. That's faith. Say, so how do you know that? Because that's what the word teaches. We'll continue reading. Then Jesus said something. One more thing. Verse 24. Therefore, I say to you guys, he is putting something to work that he just got through saying. In verse 23, he says, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall what? Say to the mountain, Be thou removed, cast in the sea, not doubt in the heart, believe those things which you say shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he says. Therefore I say unto you, I'm speaking something to you that's a truth. Do you think he was doubting it? Do you think Jesus was doubting what he's fixing to say? No. He said, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you received them, you shall have them. Jesus said this. He just said, now look, I know the Father just kind of got extreme with you guys just now with this whole whatsoever thing. Talking about mountains being thrown in the sea. Guys, that's not, that was a metaphor, okay? He didn't say that. No, he said, so I'm saying something to you now. This is Jesus. The Father's saying it to him. Whatever you desire, when you pray, Believe that you receive and you'll have it. I didn't make this promise to you guys. I'm just reading what the promise says. Jesus said it. Same one that won't lie, who says what the Father says. Our Father wants us to know this. He didn't say, Jesus, I wish you hadn't have said that. I wish you hadn't opened your mouth. Now look at all what's going to happen. It's his idea. It's the Father's idea. He wants you to know how to operate by faith like he operates by faith. Remember with the centurion in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 9, it says, the centurion soldier had sent some guys down there to Jesus and said, will you come and, 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 and heal my servant? You know, I've got a servant. Will you come and heal them? And so then he sent word because Jesus was on his way to do that. He was coming up there to heal. And he sent word and says, wait a minute. Uh, you don't need to do that. Just speak the word only. The centurion, not Cornelius, but a different one. He, this was over in Capernaum. He said, look, I'm a man under authority and I understand how authority works. Jesus, if, you don't have to come over here. If you just speak the word, it'll be done. If you just say it, it'll be done. You don't have to come. 
It says here, this is how he said it. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. I don't go behind him and check. I know when he was told to go do it, he went and did it. I didn't have to go look. I'm a man under authority. I know how authority works, and I told him to go do it. He went and did it. And when Jesus heard it, Jesus marveled. Only two times Jesus marveled, and this is one of them. He marveled at a guy that wasn't even a Jew, a Gentile. And he said to them that followed, Hey, guys, I'm telling you the truth here. Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not anywhere in Israel. There is nobody in Israel. I have walked this land for 33 years. There is nobody that understands this better than this guy does. All he said, he understands authority. And he says, no, Jesus, you don't have to come. Just speak it from where you are and it'll obey. Distance has nothing to do with it. Isaiah chapter uh, 55, verse 8 says it this way. For my thoughts, this, this turned me totally, totally upside down when I saw this years ago. It changed my prayers. It changed everything about the way I go about it. I started seeing some things here that I hadn't seen before many years ago. It says in Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Didn't say it couldn't be, just said it wasn't. That's why we don't get the results that God gets. He says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God doesn't think the way we think. His thoughts are higher. And he says, I wish you would begin to think the way I think. Quit thinking doubt. When you pray, believe you receive, and you'll receive. He says, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing that I sent it to. That is how we're to operate. We don't take no for an answer. What we spit, sent forth, what we said and sent forth should be just like this. So shall my words be that when I'm praying and I declare and decree a thing, it's going out of my mouth. It's not going to return to me void. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care what the society says. I don't care what family members say. I'm not interested if it's raining outside or snowing outside. I know I sent that, and it will prosper in doing what it was sent to do. Because why? Because Jesus said, whatsoever you pray, when you believe, Whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe you received and you shall have it. I choose to believe Jesus. Amen. Yeah, but people will make fun of you. Let them make fun. They're already making fun of you. If people go, I'd rather please Jesus than to please everybody else and say, well, I don't want them to make fun of me. I don't care. Do you think Cornelius cared? This whole household feared God. Why? 
Cornelius, he's got to walk with God. His relationship things are happening. Look at verse 12. It goes on. It says, For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. This is when somebody is living this way. That the things that you send it to do are accomplished. You'll go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And the mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap your hands. Instead of the thorn that this world system will give you. Instead of the thorn shall come up a fir tree. Ah, you ain't getting the, the curse. You're getting what? What the redeemed receive. Instead of the briar shall come up a myrtle tree. And it shall be for the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that should not be cut off. God, we are his testimony. We're his testimony. Now the Father is getting us to live this way. And I didn't even get into talking about prayer. We'll get there in a couple of weeks or so. But this is all things as we read through there like this real quickly. Luke eleven nineteen. I say unto you, Peter read it this morning, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. Jesus said this. And who told him to say it? The Father. Why? Because the Father wants you to know this. The Father wants you to operate in faith because the kingdom of heaven operates according to the system of faith, and he wants you to operate here on this planet like he operates up there so that we can get the results here that Jesus got here. Why? Because Jesus operated and lived by faith. Are you saying that we're supposed to be like little Jesus? That's what the Bible says. So yes, I am saying that. We're to be operating here, experiencing the very things that the apostles experienced. Did, did not Jesus say, and the works that I do, greater shall you do? That was the Father's idea, because Jesus said it. When are we going to quit allowing all of this other to interfere with us and be sucked out to the sea by a riptide when we need to be standing on a firm foundation, which is his word? Every head bowed and eye closed will be looking around. If the Father wants you to have a heavenly treasure, an account in heaven where your treasures are stored, I'm sure that he wants you to have it there for a reason. And then I'm sure that he wants you to have it there to be distributed, to be used, and not just someplace taking up space. Seek the Lord. Lord, I see your word says this. Why would you say this if it's not so? You're not a man that you should lie. Lord, I don't want to be religious and hung up in old theology thinking that, that you know, these things are not for us and all of that. Lord, these are the things that you said. Father, you said these things. Lord, open my eyes to see Open my eyes to see what's made available to me so that I can operate in this time, in this time in history that you've called me to live according to your word. Now, you know right where you are with eyes closed, head bowed. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, get up, come forward or nothing. 
But now's a good time to make a decision. Either you're going to sit there and say, well, I just wish he'd hurry up and be through so we can go. Well, you're sitting there thinking, I want this to be right. I want this to be real. If this is real, I want part of it. I want it. I want to stir you up today that you can be the Cornelius of your family. You can be that Cornelius that says, I won't let go. I'm going to press in. I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep on and on and on so that my whole household will see that I press through to receive from God what he said was available to me. And that's what I want you to do is receive what God has got available for you. And you know this. So make a decision. You know, Lord, I'm going to take the time. I'm going to seek you about it. I'm going to get my Bible and I'm going to start reading all these things, what you promised. I'm going to start looking at it from the fact that when Jesus said something, Father, you're the one that told him to say it. You wanted me to know. That's why you told him. That Jesus isn't running around behind your back giving away secrets. No, it was your idea. Lord, I thank you for revolutionizing their thinking, the way they're beginning to see things according to your word, according to what your promises say. Not taken out of context, but out of obedience to you. Now I declare blessings upon the people today. And I thank you, Lord, for them having a blessed week. I thank you for stirring up their, their hearts. Lord, I thank you for prosperous prayer times with you this week. As they seek your face, as they're riding down the road, I thank you that you'll reveal, begin revealing yourself to them in a greater way and stir them up. Now, Lord, we want to pray now in advance that next Sunday, when Pastor Webb is here, Lord, I thank you that the house is full. We invited people. They came and they come on time. They're ready to receive with hearts wide open to receive what you are sending to us. Lord, we thank you for the gift the gift that you're sending to us that we will receive for him. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.